Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, October 1st, 2015, and we are reading from the Big Book. And we are on page XVIII. The first full paragraph that begins in the spring of 1940. Today's readers are Mary H. on the 12 Steps, Alice M. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Larry K., Julie R., and Rebecca F. The reference number for yesterday, September 30th, <clears throat> 2015, is 8. Zero three four. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is the fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeater. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who suffers, who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary H. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Mary H. in Connecticut, a recovering compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Mary H. I will now ask Alice M. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Alice M., a compulsive overeater and bulimic. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is the one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous, has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Alice M., for your service. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your share be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we will resume our study of the big book on page XVIII, the first full paragraph. I will ask uh, Larry Kay to begin reading. Hi, Kathy. Uh, thanks so much. Larry Kay, recovered um, compulsive reader from Chicago. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends to which he invited AA members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires. Inquiries poured in again, and many people went to the bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. By March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2,000. 
Then Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had become a national institution. So, um, you know, what I, what I see here, you know, in this uh, paragraph, what I take from it is kind of the historical trajectory that led us to, to galvanize and solidify as a group. And um, AA really began to take off. And here we learn, you know, some of the, the early springboard events that I believe were, you know, were divine in nature. And I'm just going to focus in on the, on the Rockefeller dinner that, that happened in the spring of 1940. Um, you see, at, at this dinner, there was a, a few things that went down that at the time, you know, might have given one the impression uh, that the dinner was not necessarily going as Bill had hoped it would. Um, for one thing, as it turned out, when the meeting was called to order, uh, you know, after everyone finished up their meal, it was actually Nelson Rockefeller's son, uh, Nelson Jr., who presided over the meeting. And he, he uh, expressed regret that his dad, you know, was unable to be present. So you might imagine that there was Bill W. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, perhaps a bit disappointed that, that Nelson Sr. wasn't there be, uh, because, you know, Nelson Sr. was was the one, he was very wealthy, and he had all his wealthy friends uh, to support this new group called Alcoholics Anonymous. And Bill and, and others were hoping for kind of a financial boost to support their early growth. And um, and this is all accounted for in some of our you know, hi, uh, historical literature. And to make matters worse, in Bill's own words, you know, he talked about, you know, that um, in regards to the dinner, you know, he said, you know, he said, breathlessly, we waited for the climax, you know, the matter of the money. Nelson Rockefeller obliged us. And, and what Nelson Rockefeller Jr. said, gentlemen, you can all see this is the work of goodwill. Its power lies in the fact that one member carries the message to the next without any thought of financial income or reward. Therefore, he went on to say, it is our belief that Alcoholics Anonymous should be self-supporting so far as money is concerned. It needs only our goodwill. And then all these wealthy philanthropists in the audience clapped and, you know, and, uh, and I wonder what Bill was feeling in that moment. But, you know, what he went on to say, which I think is so critical, he said, we were dazed. We simply could not figure out, you know, but a few days later, we began to see as time passes, Alcoholics Anonymous sees ever more clearly what he meant and what he did. That was part of our principles. You know, and it wasn't the financial support that they needed. What they needed was, and what later, what we read in this paragraph is that other news articles and so forth were written, and then that mushrooming process began. And um, we, so we, it's so critical for us, you know, as we continue on our, as an organization, as a, excuse me, as a society, that we remember our principles. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Who would like to share on what was read? Penny C. Okay, Penny C. Anyone else? Rachel W. Rachel W. And I'll take Melissa one more. Melissa C. Melissa C. Okay, let's start with the three of you. Penny C., Rachel W., and then Melissa C. Go ahead, Penny, please. Hi, thank you, Kathy. This is 
Penny C., recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Oh, I love I love going back and learning how these twelve step programs got their their birth and and how they grew. And um, I I love the story that about Jack uh, Anderson writing the article in the Saturday Evening Post. You know, the Saturday Evening Post was in most every every home in the United States in those days. I remember as a little girl, we looked forward to it coming in the mail every week. And and Jack Anderson was a very, very celebrated columnist. And the way he came to he came to write the article was that the owner of the Saturday Evening Post had a couple of friends who had heard about AA and how people were actually recovering in the program. So he found Jack Anderson and said, I want you to write an article about it. And the name of the article that appeared was, I I'm, I'm, love this, Alcoholics Anonymous, Freed Slaves of Drink, Now They Free Others. And I thought, you know, I related that to myself. And, you know, I was a slave to food. And now I I do my best to try to free others from that bondage that the big book talks about. Well, the article was so, so uh, impressive to people that the first non-alcoholic worker for AA, a woman named Ruth Hawk, in the AA headquarters in New York, reported in a letter to Dr. Bob that just because of that article, they received over 900 inquiries to the office there within 12 days. And the the Saturday Evening Post received many, many uh, requests for how they could get more information. And by Bill W. says that within eight years, he believed that 10,000, 10,000 people had recovered in AA directly because of that article. And that's just amazing to me how this program grew. And and I want to say for, for me how grateful I am to all these people, starting with the Rockefellers and now Jack Anderson and the and the Saturday Evening Post for for helping the twelve steps to be so um, brought to so many people, and eventually to me, to me, so that I could be freed from the slavery of food and and be recovered. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. And Rachel W., please go ahead. Thank you so much, Kathy. This is Rachel W. calling in from New York. Good morning, everyone. Um, you know, I'm really fascinated by the historical um, angle. I really do love history, and it's interesting for me to learn about it here. Um, and but what's really hitting me is um, is how the AA members got to tell their stories. And um, you know, I've been in this program for many years, and there were times where I was convinced that my story didn't matter. And especially, you know, in the depths of binging, especially in relapse. Um, thinking, you know, I just failed this whole thing and, and I don't I can't do this and um 
you know, just those dark moments where I thought that, you know, my story really wouldn't matter at all. And, and now, um, thank God, you know, uh, through the help of directly of this meeting and, and, um, and other people and thank God the people that really the network that God put into my life that got me out of my relapse, um, now I tell my story and it helps other people and I'm stunned, you know, because if I hadn't continued the fight and if I hadn't had the support of this fellowship, um, that story would have been lost and it wouldn't be, you know, it, I, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a story. And um, so, so for me, it's, it's just the, it's speaking to the idea that no matter what point we're at in our recovery, our story is so extremely, it's so, precious it's so valuable and it can help so many people and and another thing is the idea that um you know when i was in that dark place that god was already had already set things in motion you know there were times where i felt like i I couldn't see a way out and in the meantime this whole big fellowship was was there that i didn't even know about um and i just want to end off also by saying that for me this this section um you know we've been speaking a lot about how it how it started of course and um, the idea that um, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of this program, and 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 where would we be, you know, without the anonymity, you know, of, of these members, and also without the respect to anonymity that Bill W. and the the other writers and editors had for these people who shared their stories. And um, my family recently donated a. Um, we discovered some items, uh, about 300 different items that we donated to a museum that were from war-torn Berlin. We just discovered them. A relative had passed away, and, and they're really fascinating. We have the original scans, and, and among them are letters um, in German that are um, tightly, you know, paperback then was very expensive, so tightly, all the words are tightly on the page. And, and um, when I gave them in, I, I had to say, you know, everything else you could display, but we have no idea what's on these letters. And to protect our family, I can't really give the clearance to just publish this and make it public because I have no idea what's in these letters. And um, who knows what's lost, you know, because we can't do that. And um, uh, so anyway, I just want to uh, thank everyone for sharing all the historical background of this and and just to thank the fellowship for still being there for me and so many others. Um, Thank you very much and have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Rachel W. And Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate hearing the historical perspective because um, I don't know that. And, um, you know, but I was imagining this dinner, um, and, um, you know, you just never know um, when you're being asked to sort of tell your story is it for someone's entertainment? Or is it um, really to carry the message? And I was thinking, you know, were, were these former drunks invited almost like a circus, you know, act? Look, they, they've changed their lives. Yay for them. You know, almost like um, sometimes when someone says to me, oh, my gosh, show them your fat pictures. Show someone your fat pictures. And, and I'm filled with a discomfort you know, wondering, am I being mocked a little bit? Is this just for someone's um, entertainment? Or, um, you know, and and so I'm just realizing that we never quite know um, how the message is is really being carried. And that, you know, I'm wondering if someone, you know, a friend was invited to that meeting because um, Rockefeller felt that maybe their friend needed to hear 
you know, the message and um, and just how powerful it is that here there's, there's this dinner, you know, they, they told their story. Maybe they didn't get the money that, that maybe they were wishing for. Um, and then, um, you know, the wires caught wind of that, the media, the press at the time, and how that spread like wildfire and that, you know, they were under a deluge, a flood of people who needed help. And so, you know, I just think like when when somebody says to me, oh, you know, you lost so much weight and, you know, that, that I do have a message to carry and it's not about nutrition and it's not about exercise. It's about um, 12 steps, about having a spiritual awakening. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, my name is Jennifer. Jennifer. And the first initial of your last name, Jennifer? C. C. Okay, thank you. And who else? Jill P. Jill P. Reva P. Leah a lot of Reva, uh, a lot of P's. Reva P and Leah M. Anyone else? Paula D. Paula D. Okay, let's stop there. Uh, Jennifer P. Please go ahead. Thank you. Oh, my name is Jennifer C. C is a cat. Um, oh, go ahead. And uh, it was really nice to call in and hear this uh, part of the book being discussed. I loved, uh, you know, I got really into the the back. Story, and I started reading uh, Bill's story, Pass It On. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. And one of the things that I really got out of uh, reading about Jack Alexander and the interactions with, uh, with uh, the family that is completely escaping me right now, the rich family, was that, uh, you know, you can clearly see, like, uh, through a lot of these interactions, we have how our traditions have been developed. And Jack Alexander was a columnist. He was an expose writer. He was not a kind writer. He was the kind of writer that uncovers things. And so when he was asked to do an article on Alcoholics Anonymous, he was looking for the scheme. He was looking for uh, what the, the dirty secrets of Alcoholics Anonymous were. And the great thing was he followed, he followed AA around for a month. Um, and talked to Bill, Bob, a lot of different members. He went into meetings, and he couldn't find anything. And that's one of the amazing things about this. When we take a look at uh, the growth of Alcoholics Anonymous and how they were financially destitute for a really long time, and having that dinner with the Rockefeller estate. You know, the Rockefeller, when they approached the Rockefellers, Rockefeller actually sent one of his main advisors to meet with them first. And his advisor came back and was a trusted advisor and said, if you give them money, it's going to kill this thing. They were given $5,000, but they were asking for 50. And Alcoholics Anonymous at the time was really struggling financially. And it was one of those beautiful things that no matter what, I mean, Rockefeller being the man that he was, able to see that money would kill this spiritual foundation of this movement that we had going on. And then an expose writer whose whole purpose is to uncover the dirty little truth about uh, whatever situations he's covering, had nothing. All he had was his story on alcoholics and God. And, um, you know, when I take a look at that, I can't just, I can't but help at looking at the whole trajectory of the program and go, wow, there's such a higher power working in this whole thing. 
Because once our numbers swelled, I mean, once there were all those inquiries, you know, the big book had been sitting around for a long time. Like, they made it, and it wasn't going anywhere for a while. And it wasn't until there was a little bit of press where they're actually able to start sending out uh, the big book. And the other thing is, all those inquiries were answered by hand, and they had typewriters at that time. But Dill absolutely insisted that it must be a person-to-person -person communication, and they were answered by hand. So thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Jennifer C. Uh, Jill P., please go ahead. Hey, good morning. I'm Jill T. from uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm still new at this when people say uh, to me, wow, you look good. How are you losing your weight? Or, wow, you look good. Part of me wants to say, just give me space, back off, get out of my way. I'm digging for something more valuable than just weight loss. I'm digging and searching for answers to heal, you know, that, that will um, relieve me of my deep, deep pains inside. And the nuggets that I'm finding are such treasures to me that I do, I do treasure them. And the idea that um, my weight loss, thank God, uh, he's doing for me what I could have never, ever done. No human, actually, I would assume there are some sort of a man-made human uh, process out there with whatever pills, whatever regime I have to use. I could have lost this weight. However, I would have been a slave to it, and my brain would have still been going around and around and around with um, a lot of things, but I need my pills. I need my program. I need this. I need that. You know, only, only this works, whereas I'm in program, and I know that only the, my only source comes from one source, and it's my higher power, so I'm able to completely push out all that other stuff. But back to my point is that um, the weight loss for me is an affirmation and a gift from my higher power that helps me continue on this path. So when people, um, so I, I'm grateful for uh, this uh, um, this um, paragraph. And I too was wondering, you know, the idea that, um, you know, are, are we a circus act type thing? But I think that just comes from my own insecurities in that I used to look at people who had rapid weight loss and it was kind of a, um, a spectacle, you know, spectacular, spectacular, a spectacular feat that they had accomplished. And I don't feel like I have accomplished anything hugely great in that I'm still crawling to uh, follow um, my, I'm still on my knees and, and I follow my sponsor and I follow the leading of my higher power, and I trust her higher power is leading her in her process of um, sponsoring. Um, but again, you know, how incomplete the book would be, the big book would be, if they didn't insert this. And in other words, that uh, AA caught the attention of Rockefeller. I don't know the, I don't know, um, the connection, how, what he heard, what he saw, but he, and, and when I go out to my, um, familiar surroundings where people knew me back when I was heavier. Yeah, I catch their attention, but it's not mine. I have to focus just on my purpose and my um, my diligence in the program. And thank you for listening. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jill T. Reva P. Please go ahead. Good morning. This is Reva P. Recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto. Uh, now that I've heard, thank you, um, fellow members, about the Rockefeller story, um, what it uh, brings home to me is, you know, this image of Bill W., this businessman going in with sort of an agenda, 
and hoping to get financial support. And um, he could have been really angry and upset um, that things did not go his way. Um, And that reminds me, you know, when I go in with an agenda, although I wake up every morning and say, thy will be done, um, even during the day I have this forgetter where I sort of get attached to my plans and my desires and my agendas. And, um, you know, God had a plan. There was a divine plan here. Um, and it was the best thing for AAOA um, not to have people sponsoring us financially. Um, and it's just, you know, when, when things happen to trust, to just trust that God has a plan, God is in this, um, I'm not... Uh, screwed if something doesn't go the way I think it should because God knows better. And it's just another reminder to fit my will with God's will. Um, And I'm waiting for some uh, news about some work um, collaboration, and that's a good reminder for me. And the second thing is about um, just being honest and telling the truth. These guys didn't make a business um, pitch they didn't um, get some, you know, um, business person to help them market their program. They told their stories. They told the truth. And how can I tell the truth? How do I even know the truth from the false? It's by working through the steps and developing a relationship with a power greater than myself um, that helps me differentiate the truth from the false. And when I tell the truth and I'm following God's guidance and just being and saying what um, I need to say based on that guidance, things unfold the way they're supposed to unfold. And again, it's a reminder for me, I don't have to effort and I don't have to push and I don't have to sell. When God takes us a certain way, he carries me the rest of the way and there's a divine plan there. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Reva P. And Leah M., please go ahead. Thanks so much, Kathy. Place such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. Um, You know, I love reading about the history and you know, history can repeat itself uh, in a negative way, but in positive ways as well, and I've experienced this. I, you know, I want to share a little bit about uh, my experience in Minneapolis. Um, there was, uh, you know, a mushrooming effect that was going on in Minneapolis. People were getting recovered, and that was a message uh, worth carrying, and we were passionate about carrying that message. We were carrying a message of depth and weight. We were properly armed with facts about ourselves, and this indeed win, you know, was able to win confidence of other compulsive overeaters, and there came a time in the early 2000s uh, that an article was published in the Star Tribune about what was happening in Overeaters Anonymous. It was very exciting. Uh, a journalist uh, wrote about us, and there were several of us that were interviewed. Um, and, of course, it was done, uh, you know, anonymously. And um, it was, you know, out in the press prior to the new year when everybody's kind of looking for the next uh, new f- diet fad, etc. And, 
you know, we talked about, um, you know, that we couldn't stop eating once we had started eating certain binge foods, and we couldn't stop from starting again. And we told our stories about being in the shackles of this disease. We told our stories about the suffering and the misery. Um, and then we talked about that we were now freed compulsive overeaters who were willing and excited, enthusiastic to free other people. And it hit. Uh, accord with so many people that at our Sunday night meeting a few days later, we had 33 newcomers to welcome into that room, 33 newcomers. And all our local groups kind of had that trickle effect, which again shows that, you know, what are we uh, responsible to do? Those of us that have had a spiritual awakening are charged with a responsibility, and that responsibility is to carry this message that we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, that the obsession of the mind has been driven out, and we are, not for, and we are now free. And this is far more than the mere elimination of binge foods. This is about a renewed life, a restored life, a rehabilitated life, and that message is attractive, whether it's in a face-to-face meeting or off the press, uh, much like what occurred with uh, Jack Alexander's article. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leah M. And Paula D., you'll be our last share on this paragraph. And thank you, Kathy, and thank you for your service. You know, as I sit here, I'm listening, and I guess this is what happened long ago. There was a lot of listening going on. You know, first, my name is Paula D., and I am a compulsive reader. May I begin with introducing myself? I live in New Hampshire, and I am a compulsive eater. I said it again, I'll repeat it, but also I will come alongside and say, I am recovered by and with the grace of God. And we begin here. And I'm just going to skip around a bit. And I'm just going to go to the time and the dates here. In the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller gave a dinner. And one of the things John D. Rockefeller was accounted for saying was, do you have enough money now? We all knew about John D. Rockefeller. And he said, just a little more. Hmm. Quite a statement to make. And then he gave this dinner. I'm not attaching anything to that. I'm just repeating. And here, he gave the dinner in 1940. And then the book came out by March 1941. Now, here we come again. The membership had shot up to 2,000. And then an article was written by Jack Alexander. And thank you so much for the history of. But I'm going to be right here in the present in such a compelling picture of AA. Compelling. It drew you to. Listen to the story. Look at the man. Is this the same man? Is this the same person? It was so much more than the story. It was a life transformed and changed. And then it goes on. Then the need of help really deluged us. By the close of 1941, look at, look at what we're looking at the dates. AA numbered 8,000 members. This mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had become a national institution, and it remains that way. And from AA drew many, many more programs, such as OA. But I just want to say that as I, I listened 
and we read that line full swing. We see it in the big book in many places under the agnostic. They said they couldn't fly. They said she can't stop. Transformed, and then the stories, and the life and the name behind the story. Anonymity, yes, but yet there for all the world to see. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And um, I'm now going to ask Julie R. to read the next paragraph. Hi, thank you, Kathy, for your service. This is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? Soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. Again, I'm Julie R. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. And, you know, I love my AA dictionary because I can look up some of these words that aren't commonly used today. And we know they are talking about the, the erstwhile erratic alcoholics. You know, that means formerly once previously in past time because, you know, they weren't those same people. But yet, um, the adolescent period, you know, that reminds you of a teenager, you know, characteristics of of someone who's not quite yet mature. And you have a a whole group of people who have egos and want things done their way, and and they survived. That's what I have to remember, is that a group of people were together, they all had their own ideas, but... They went through this process, and as it said, frightening and first disrupting experience. But throughout all this, that was the beginning of the 12 traditions. You know, what binds our groups together and doesn't allow it to be fragmented and fighting, infighting, outfighting, all of that, they survived. And I'm so grateful because... They worked through it. They had God, creator, whatever you want to call it, in the midst of their fellowship. And we are a result, OA, our result of them going through that period. And I I look at it and just, you know, in everyday situations, this happens. But the difference is when you take people who are not in their disease, they can weather the storm because they do have their God, their creator. And, you know, there's... A lot of different OA fragmented groups, but they all have the same purpose, to help the still-suffering compulsive overeater. So even though some groups might do things differently, you know, we have the same book. We have the big book. We have the solution. So we're, you know, unifying. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julie R. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Charles from New York. Okay. Charles H., who was behind Charles? Sally. Sally A., anyone else? 
Okay, we'll start with you two, Charles H. and then Sally A. Go ahead, Charles. Good morning, Kathy King. Thanks for your service, Charles H., a recovered visionary just for today. You know, I see all the traditions, but I, I specifically see tradition too. Um, you know that you know I, 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 I'm getting a vision about uh, business meetings that I've attended um, that almost became physical um, in AA, not in OA, but in AA um, in my home group. I'm looking at all that stuff. I'm looking at the way I used to react, and I'm looking at um, <laughs> a ten-step promise in particular. I'm looking at the word phenomenon. It just comes. I know there's work. There's work, but it just comes. And I'm looking at all this. I'm not a historian, but I love it. I love it because 80 years later, I'm looking at that word hand-to-hand and word-to-mouth. Like like Kim G said earlier this week, you know, there's a lot of uh, faith thing going on. I got a few Jewish sponsors and a Jewish sponsor. And, you know, it's like I, I, I can't be waiting, man. So. You know, um, I went to a, a, a hundred pounders meeting, telephone. Somebody shared, I shared. They gave my number. I left my number, and I got a new sponsor. Working with it, I can't wait. And I got someone on the on a twelve step, and he, he's uh he's available. And that's how we do this thing. That's how this thing is mushrooming, man. Planting them seeds and ready to plant more seeds. And whether it bears fruit, that ain't my that ain't up to me. You know, a loving God. <laughs> You know, we're just trusted servants here. How could I be trusted through going through this program of action? You know, and, and yeah, the numbers speak for itself, and it, it, it's still growing. And like uh, Julie just said, you know, OA, our primary purpose is to carry the message. You know, tradition forces each group is autonomous. Some people use a big book. Some people use other literature. And that's all right. That's all right. You know, I choose to use the big book today. But I, 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 you know, I was talking. I made an outreach call. I'm gonna close down after this. I was talking to an individual that has a lot of knowledge about the program and a lot of information. And you know, I was, I just kept saying, you know what? It's about love. It ain't about being correct. It's about love. You know, an altruistic move, like the doctor, Doctor Silkworth said. It's about love. Twelve steps, the root of love. Because you know, I'm a self-willed person by nature. I want money. I want this. I want that. But it's about love today. And love is the message that we bring through the 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Charles H. And Sally A., please go ahead. Press star one, Sally, to unmute. Oh, boy. (laughs) I thought I was unmuted. Thank you. Good morning, a vision for you, and um, thank you, Kathy, for your service. It's so good to hear your voice on the line this morning. Um, This is such a a wonderful uh, piece of literature for me this morning. Um, It really reminds me of a vision for you. It's so interesting how in my own mind it's like a different layer. Um, They were Here they were um, beginning to... uh, this whole AA uh, and recovery, 12-step recovery, was um, is being edu- we're being educated about here. And and as I look at the sentences in this particular paragraph, our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. I have to be honest with you. I identify with this because I feel I look at myself pretty much as an adolescent in recovery um, because I've been recovered for about three and a half years. And one thing that I've been learning more and more is that 
it's a progressive recovery. As much as it's a progressive disease, it's a progressive recovery. I'm getting weller and weller. And people often ask me about, why do you say that, Sally? Are you recovered or not? Yes, I'm recovered, not cured, but I'm becoming progressively recovered. Just as my disease is a progressive illness, I see my recovery growing. And so when it speaks to this fearsome, exciting adolescent, Julie did a wonderful job of um, highlighting these precious words, erstwhile erratic, that they were uh, working together. I mean, I was never a team player. I was socially inept. Uh, my whole life I-, I spent socially inept because I was in the food my whole life. And my life was, um, I was pretty much, when I became recovered, I was just waking up like just a, a flower that was just really blossoming for the first time. And so she was three years and I'm 55 years old. Three years in the grand scheme of my life is not a whole lot of time. And so I'm still basically like a, like a rose opening up and learning how to be a team player, still making mistakes, um, still getting caught up in stupid quarrels and, and catching myself and, and learning, you know, these principles and, and, and practicing these principles in all my affairs. But still I see myself, even at this moment in history, as very much an adolescent who's still growing. And that's who we are. We're all in a progressive recovery. We're all learning and growing because we've been socially stunted and socially um, we've been drunk. We've been drunk in the food, and now we're not. And so it's a wonderful thing to be together and to, to grow with you all and to be here with you all today. And thanks for letting me share all that that I passed. Thank you, Sally. A. <clears throat> Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Catherine F. Okay. Hi, Kathy. This is Raquel. Okay, Raquel. Catherine S. And Raquel, I forget your last initial, Raquel. E. Raquel E. Oh, that's right, E. Thank you. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? Nessa R. Nessa R. Okay, Nessa R. And I think I heard Lois M. Is that correct? Correct. Great. And anyone else? Okay, let's go with those, and we'll start with Catherine. Yes. Oh, Deanne F. Oh, Deanne F. Thank you, Deanne. Okay, Okay. Catherine F., please go ahead. Hi, I'm Catherine F. I live in western New York. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, pretty new at this. And I just wanted to speak about what really called me. I can't believe I'm actually on the line. But that beautiful line that it only worked if there was spiritual unity, those two things are, are, are just uh, seem so essential at every stage in recovering from this terrible compulsion. And the spiritual part um, is something I'm familiar with, but the unity part is something I really struggle with. And I'm coming to see that the recovery and the real spiritual um, new life comes from reaching out, comes from accepting help, comes from truly being a part of this community. And um, I spent a long time 
trying to do this on my own and trying to be different and trying to manage it. And so it's a process for me to say that this giving in to community, that this giving in to help and support and um, communion in a way is a is a huge spiritual gift. But in the little progress that I've made, I can see that that's where the real spiritual power comes from. And it's so beautiful to see it expressed that the spiritual unity was and is absolutely necessary for the miracle of recovery. Uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Catherine S. And Raquel E., go ahead, please. Press star one, Raquel, to unmute. Hello, Kathy. Can you hear me now? And go ahead, Raquel. Thank you. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for letting me share. And hello to all my precious friends online. I don't even know where to start. It's so exciting. I first of all, we have to, I'll have to do a 10 step about how jealous I am that every single one of you can go out now and buy the book, Pass It On, and read how much there was in this brief paragraph, the previous one that we read. Somebody I gave the book to can read it in English, said to me, you know, this thing didn't just go like that overnight. They struggled pretty hard until they put this thing together. Mwah, you bet. You know, what is here in one paragraph, you read a whole book written in such good taste and good humor and good humor and, and such a joy to read and see how they persevered through such difficulties that we can't even imagine, you know, when OA came into being in 1960 or 61, conditions were totally different. But I want to speak about this, you know, um, uh, we had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. And I was so glad to hear uh, the sharing before uh, with Leah. This, in, I have in, in my hand the, when we studied this in uh, uh, March of 2014, there were three tremendous sharings about, um, about this paragraph and about how their message was so very clear about that you have to let go of the substance before you can really study the spiritual program. And this hasn't been clear with, with OA to such an extent that I have here the two speeches of Roseanne, may she rest in peace, who founded our beautiful movement and the fellowship. But she spoke in 1999 and in 2002, uh, a world conference, and I have it in front of me, and she went through all the split-offs of OA, how from 1962 on, she was holding in her hand a bunch of pickup sticks and pulling out another stick and another stick, and now this went off, the 90 days and the, the um, gray sheet, and all different groups that split off. And so I think we're still, to a great extent, until vision came and what came before vision uh, for you, going back to the big book, we still we are in this adolescent period, you know, and people who haven't gone back to the source, back to the big book, and have the watered-down oil literature, I'm sorry to say that, 
that does not have a clear message that the substance has to be put down. And yes, it's difficult. But we have to figure out, like with a fine-tooth comb, what goes, what doesn't, and how my path got narrower and things I could eat once I cannot eat now without risking my my uh, recovery and serenity. And the whole depth of this wonderful program, but but we can make it. We can do it. Some things are, are happening, and I'm so looking forward to the convention to get more spirit and understanding that we are still at the very beginning of establishing ourselves uh, because um, the food epidemic in the world now is as big as alcohol ever was. And we need to bring this solution to a lot of people. And I, I'm, I'm so... I'm so humbled and, and so grateful that I'm part of you and that I can get online and speak with you. And maybe that's why God sent me to to America for a few years. And otherwise, this wouldn't be available um, for me either. And I, I'm full of hope. And thank you so much for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you, Raquel E. And um, Nessa R., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, this line near the end of the paragraph, AAs have to hang together or die separately. You know, like for decades, I tried on my own to find um, a solution to what I thought was my food problem um, because I didn't know that um, the solution was, the, the, the food was the best solution my sick mind came up with to solve my living problem. And, you know, it was a very lonely existence. I mean, not only because it was um, it was devoid of any permanent, you know, lasting success, but, you know, because it was just, it was just me. It was, it was uh, I alone trying to conquer this, this thing, trying to conquer this monster. And then I came into the rooms of OA and, you know, discovered, um, well, first of all, discovered the real solution, which is the fact that uh, I have a a living problem that only a spiritual solution can conquer. Um, But, you know, I came into a a group of people that would otherwise not mix. You know, we have people of all different cultures, nationalities, religions, professions, you know, you name it. And, you know, these are people that I would not have normally come into contact with, let alone maybe children of my friends. And yet, we are all trying to do together here what none of us, none of us could do alone. Um, we are the people that nobody could help. And yet, you know, we are helping, we are helping each other. And I am just so grateful for all the trailblazers in AA and even even early OA who uh, who blazed this path for us that we don't have to come in and you know reinvent the wheel and go through the growing pains of you know establishing a lasting a lasting tradition from which we are all benefit from which I have benefit I, I have benefited immensely um, that the but it, it doesn't stop there just with my having having um, had benefited from it, I have to continue being part of this tradition. I have to continue, you know, passing, passing it on to those who, uh, who care to have it. Um, 
you know, I have a, I have a big responsibility that um, I cannot take lightly, uh, and I don't want to take lightly, not only because my very life depends on it, but because um, the, the meaning and the purpose that it adds to my life. I mean, before, when I was just searching for, for the answer for myself, it was, it, was, it was such a meaningless existence, you know. It was just like me against the food, you know. I was either eating it or, or, or trying to refrain from eating it. And that's, that was the whole that's focus. The three that was another focus. Yeah? That, that's three so, minutes. Could you wrap up? Um, sure. Um, I guess uh, this is it, and um, I pass. Okay. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, we have reached the end of our meeting, and I'm going to have to ask Lois M. and Diane F. to share in the second unrecorded hour. I hope that's okay with both of you. Um Thank you, everyone who has shared. It's been a really special meeting this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, Would Rebecca F. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Rebecca S. from Connecticut, a grateful, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously... You cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.